We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Draft Class here on Knicks Film School. I'm Chris Percyinen, here as always to be your host on Draft Class. And I'm excited to say that today is the last episode before the lottery. So we are sitting here. Uh, this episode is releasing Saturday, the 14th, I believe. Uh, and the lottery is the 17th. So that's cool. Uh, we're finally going to see where the Knicks stand. They're projected to be at 11. So that'll be fun. Uh, maybe we jump up into the top four. Fingers crossed. Maybe we don't. Uh, but either way, I'm going to be very excited to see how the lottery goes and see, you know, <laughs> just start doing mock drafts after that, right? Just start projecting who's going to take who. Uh, that's always a lot of fun to me. And I can't wait. I hope you guys are as excited. I hope you guys are excited to be here for episode five of Draft Class. We have the most special of guests to welcome in today for our interview. It's Sam Vicini. Uh, he'll get his full intro once I start the interview, but I'll have it be known as always that you know this is someone I'm bringing on who I'm a really big fan of, whose draft work I really love, I really support and whose work taught me a lot about how I evaluate guys. So really awesome to be able to have Sam on uh, and really cool to get to talk to him. I also want to say Andrew, our awesome producer at KFS here for draft class as well, has just gone beast mode and he's updated the KFS YouTube with draft class episodes on video. Right. So that's cool. Um, if you missed any episodes and you want to check them out, you can do so now with video as well. If you want to re listen to one and watch me uh, chuckle along with my guest as, as we banter back and forth, those are going to be up as well. So I know a couple of those are going up on the YouTube. Um, and I know that this one should be up on the YouTube as well. So that's cool. 
because uh, I just, you know, a bunch of you guys requested video um, and Andrew took note of that because he's the best and just made that happen without me even asking because, again, he's a wizard. Anyway, we're here. It's time for draft class. Sam Vecini is on the show. The lottery is the 17th of May. That's five days after today, recording day, but that's just in three days when you guys are listening to this. Again, thank you for tuning into Draft Class. I hope you enjoy the interview, and I'll see you at the end for the wrap-up of the show. Joining me now on Episode 5 of Draft Class is Sam Vecini. He, I'll start with your own self-description. Like you write about basketball. I think that is amazing. I think that's a hilarious way to put it for someone who hosts the Game Theory podcast, who is a senior writer at The Athletic. And, you know, when it comes to The Athletic's big boards and mock drafts, just my favorite out there in regards to long form and long form content. (laughs) Um, I can get buried in a good Vicini draft guide, y'all. So I, I, you know, this was was one of my top targets for draft class guest list. Sam, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us here today. That's incredibly kind. First and foremost. No, I mean, I'm just a guy who writes about basketball. That's, that's it at the end of the day. Like, I don't even know if I do, I, I might occasionally dabble in a journalism, but I don't, I don't know that I necessarily do more beyond that. I write and I talk about basketball and I've been lucky enough that uh, people will read it. So that's always nice and love it. Um, I appreciate you having me on. This is great. Yeah. Well, the, you know, there's a reason people read it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So you know, I won't give you too much credit, but we'll, we'll leave it there. You know, don't, don't, don't do, do too much self-deprecating. Um <laughs> I've started with everyone here on draft class with what I've called an autopsy, uh, an internal look at the young core specifically of the Knickerbockers of New York. Now I will not make you sit here and do a full deep dive on every single 23 and under player that the Knicks have to offer, but rather um, I want to point out that there's a lot of them from Barrett uh, to everyone. And then, you know, Reddish being older, but they just added him to everyone that this regime has drafted uh, quickly top and drives McBride, even Joe Kubatis uh, across the, the pod there and, uh, and Jericho Sims at 58. What about this young core excites you? Does it excite you? <laughs> um, I, I know, I know everyone knows it excites me, but I'm going to be the Knicks could sign a bag of Cheetos tomorrow. And I'd be talking about how he's <laughs> going to bring a, a level of spice to the game that no other prospect does. So <laughs> what, what do you, what do you think about this current Knicks young core? Well, you know, the, the more that you do this, the more you understand that the game is all about finding stars to some extent in order to be successful, you have to be able to find the stars either via trade or via the draft. And it's hard because I don't think the Knicks have the guy yet. I think the Knicks realize they don't have the guy yet, but I think they've done a good job of whenever they find that person, assuming they don't have to give up too much of these pieces to acquire that guy. I think they've done a pretty good job of assembling the outer parts of a core that makes sense, right? Like I've always been a big RJ Barrett fan. I understand that some people aren't. I understand that they don't, 
you know, love the efficiency. And sometimes he can get a little bit turnover heavy, but he's a crazy worker. He's the kind of person that you want your culture to kind of embody in terms of the way that he is willing to put effort into his game. Yeah. Uh, and he works on defense. He works on both ends of the court and you know, uh, look, do I think he's more of a number two or number three on a good playoff team? I do. Uh, I I think that he's probably not going to be a number one option, but I've always kind of thought that this was going to be the kind of guy that continues to get better and better and better throughout the course of his career and not someone that's going to, you know, stagnate at 23 years old, stagnate at 24 years old. And if not being so, a number one option is your main, you know, drawback, you know, oh no, you know, the, the fake scared kind of vibe there well, because it's like, uh, yeah, and he's still is, great. This, yeah. This is where like the, the struggle of expectations ends up exactly frustrating a lot of Knicks fans, I think. And I get it. Like you drafted RJ Barrett at number three after Zion Williamson and John Morant went right. And he's very close with Zion Williamson. So there's that natural inkling and hope that he's going to be that guy, right? He's going to be the guy to bring the Knicks up. I don't think he is. Like, I think he's going to be more of a number two or a number three, but he's going to be a great number two or number three. The the only concern for the Knicks moving forward is you have to figure out what the contract number is for that guy. You can't max him unless he takes an enormous leap next year. I don't think. Um, so what is, what is the middle ground? You know, Jaron Jackson got something like 22 and a half million per year. Um, you know, Jonathan Isaac got like 20 million, uh, trying to think of, you know, other guys that aren't number ones, but can help you. And like, can, I think help you win games as soon as you find that number one who can take pressure off of him. That isn't Julius Randall. I, I, I don't know, man. It's, you also kind of have to build a specific roster around RJ as well. And I don't think Julius is a great fit yeah. for that specific roster. So it's, it's weird. It's very hard. Does the Jalen Brown four year, one Oh seven million when he was averaging, I think 13 points at the time that he signed it. Does that kind of ring a bell as something that like might be <laughs> what we're looking at with RJ, maybe a little more, but you know, that four one Oh six is, is not chump change. That's, 26 and a half a year, I think, if I'm not wrong, <laughs> to be averaging like under 14. I just know RJ has put these stretches together. At, you know, like Julius was not at all who they were expecting him to be, even when their expectations were lowered after the start of the year. Like that second yeah. half of the season from Randall, um, I do a lot of talking about how the Knicks could have done a lot to prevent this situation with Randall reaching the point that it has. Um, potentially the point of no return that it seems to have reached uh, with the fans and everything. But I, I, you know, there's nothing that can get out of his effort, his lack of effort, his attitude there in that second half of the season. But Barrett came and averaged like 24, six and four, you know, and, yeah. and the, the shooting wasn't, it was like 42%, something ugly, but um, <laughs> he's not on a great team, obviously. And just that, like, I, I don't, I think that the four one Oh five, four one ten, like that neighborhood just, I also get, you know, he's number three out of Duke and we're in New York. There's kind of a big market thing going on. Numbers kind of pump up a little. So does that, I feel like that kind of what, is that what sounds right to me? Does that sound right to you it's at all? 
probably the range that I would think it ends up in. I mean, like you said, yeah. So I just looked up the numbers over RJ's last 42 games. So from the Knicks 30th, 36th game of the season, it looks like onward. He averaged 23.6, six rebounds, three and a half assists. I, I think that that's pretty commensurate with who he is. Uh, as a, you know, whenever he's an overqualified number or underqualified, I'm sorry, number one option uh, on a team. And you know what? Like, that's that's fine if you reduce that down to, you know, 19 on 44% shooting and 36.5% from three whenever he starts getting some easier shots and easier looks. And, you know, the, the big thing that I thought he did that finally came to fruition was started drawing fouls in the way that we expected him to at Duke or from his tape at Duke, from his tape at lower levels. Uh, over that time, he averaged seven free throws per game, which is a really, really high number. Um, right. He's always going to be a physical player and always going to be the kind of guy that uh, you you need to get into advantageous situations uh, as opposed to using him out of isolations, right? Like he's going to be best as your second side creator. If they go out and they try and acquire a Donovan Mitchell this summer, you know, Donovan hopefully can bend the defense and hit RJ on the weak side. RJ drives with his left hand and hopefully draws a foul. Um, Right. Yeah. He's good enough to be attacking those tilted defenses, but just not, tilting them himself just yet mm-hmm. is, is what I'm getting. Um, you know, the rest of the guys, IQ, OB, um, anyone there that makes you think, oh, the Knicks are set at that position now and don't need to look there in the draft. Um, or is the NBA too versatile for that nowadays? I don't think that there is any position I would rule out in the draft because the Knicks have X player on the team, right? Um, I like what I saw from Quentin Grimes this year. Like I think Quentin Grimes looks like a good three and D player long-term. I don't think Quentin Grimes, you know, is the, like the unquestioned answer at like the two, three and on top of it, right. You know, you need multiple three and D guys that can do stuff and, you know, can handle multiple assignments defensively and can drive and kick and can knock down threes. So, and like, to be frank, I think I like Quentin Grimes more than Tibbs might like Quentin Grimes based on the fact that he didn't play Quentin as much as I thought he could have. So he was forced into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hesitantly optimistic on Quentin. Um, I think Jericho Sims is an interesting guy long-term, just athletically. Uh, I like Obi as someone that I think the Knicks have, you know, kind of squandered. If you were going to take him at number eight, if I remember correctly, is where they took him. You needed to have a plan for playing him as a small ball five, because that's always what he's been. Uh, You know, in his years at Dayton, he was a small ball five. And to play him at the four is like a corner floor spacer cutter is just bizarre. Um, yeah. I mean, and quickly, I think looks like a solid, you know, sixth man to me. I, I'm not quite as high on Emmanuel quickly, I think is what the rest of the Knicks community might be, but there's a lot of value in having a very creative scoring sixth man, I think. Yeah, I like Quick as a starter just because I think the defense is like so good um, compared to, I don't know how like the consensus views him. But 
again, like we were saying, I was saying earlier to you about Obi, like he makes the offense better, just like vibes wise, like quickly by the numbers makes the team better on both ends of the floor when he's in, no matter what lineup he's in with. And like, it's not that as much as that considering the team he was on this year um, and how like messy it was. That just makes me think, Oh, regardless of this kid's circumstances, he came in and really made his mark known that's why I'm really impressed with him, you know? And like, I was a big maxi guy that draft had him at eight. Um, yep. And I, I think that's a real conversation between those two going forward, which is nuts right now by the, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not that high on it, it's, but it's, it's nuts to the consensus right now. I, I think that with opportunity though, we'll get to a, a more sane, uh, <laughs> a, you know, view of my take there. Well, you know, and, and here's the thing with quick, I think that I would say his ceiling is probably going to be something like the 20th best point guard in the NBA, something like that. You know, at the end of the day, like something in that ballpark. And if you really look at it, a, there are 30 teams in the league. So that's probably like a starting quality guy. But the question is, can you win with that? And I I honestly don't know when you're trying to build a roster and when you're trying to like, bring a set of players that comes together. I think it takes a very specific type of team and player to win with that. So like yeah, jumbo, you know, so yeah, like you need a big wing creator when you already sort of kind of have a bigger wing creator with RJ that you're, you know, probably going to pay a good amount of money to it, it. The Knicks are in a more precarious position in terms of how they're going to have to allocate their assets moving forward uh, at this point, because they're starting to have to pay some of their younger guys. And it's, it's tricky. I think it's not like a bad, it's not a bad problem to have. I was going to say they used to have decisions. They used to have no young guys to pay. So I'll take it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But they, but this is the summer where I think they recognize they have to consolidate some things. And I, I think that that's what it's going to come down to here for, you know, Leon Rose and company. Right. I, I agree. You know, they, they have a lot of, if you look at their second round picks over the next couple of years, it's like a hilarious stash of them. Yeah. Um, they've kind of like Sam Presti the second round pick market and no one's noticed. It's really funny how many they have when you, yeah. <laughs> when you go look at it. Um, but you know, say the speaking of consolidation a little bit, let's say we get, um, I throw Sohan out there as like uh, someone to add to that core of RJ Grimes cam, and then kind of add a, a bruiser in there, you know, a destructor. I like to call Sohan. Um, if they had, you know, quickly, maybe a vet starting RJ Obi, maybe they bring back Mitch Robinson. And we'll talk about that in a second whether it's McBride Grimes, you know, just their kids coming off the bench with, with that new draft pick. Um, Maybe the veterans in the rotation are Rose off the bench and potentially Burks Mm -hmm. or Fournier starting, maybe not Um, kind of two, two pronged one here. Is that a team you could see going around 500 realistically over the course of a season, just the Knicks empowering their young guys, not having any huge, aspirations here, but just going 500 and, you know, say they go 42 
and 40, something like that, and lose in the play and don't even make it to the postseason. Would you view that as a success for them next season? And we're talking specifically next season. This coming season, they go, yeah. they make no major acquisitions. They, besides acquiring bad contracts back for all the veterans that they're dumping, that they either buy out. Or, or trade for seconds, whatever it is. Um, they just ride yeah. with their kids. I, I don't see that going well. If you're trying to get to a, like, if you're trying to get to the play in, uh, it's just the East has gotten strong enough now to where it's, it, it's tough to do that. Like, do you think that the Knicks or Charlotte would be in a better position there? Like, I, I think it'd probably be Charlotte given the fact Charlotte, that yeah. Yeah. They and like ball. Charlotte, yeah, it was 10th in the East this year. And, you know, you start running into, okay, well, Detroit has Cade. And I think it's going to be pretty hard starting next year for Detroit to tank with Cade because he's as good as he is. And they're going to get another, you know, elite level piece here in the draft. So, you know, do, do they end up on the level with like a Detroit is Detroit moves up a ranking and then the Knicks, you know, just by nature of losing veterans, you know, potentially high usage veterans, like, you know, you're kind of hoping it's addition by subtraction, but I, I don't know how ready the kids are, especially Cam Reddish, because we've never seen Cam Reddish like string together, uh, you know, what four weeks of great basketball in a row. Um going back to Duke even realistically. So I, I don't think that that would be a play in competitor if they moved like, you know, Randall, like everyone. Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You move Randall, you move keep, Fournier, keep, keep Mitch, um, but everyone keep else, Mitch. <laughs> everyone else kind of got there. Just the potential um, off season. Yeah. And keep, you're saying keep Rose, maybe keep like a Burke. Yeah, to start Burks or Fournier to start Rose off the bench and then keep Robinson to start. And the Phil is going to be there until he's like in the grave. I I really hope it is on a (laughs) whether just straight veteran minimum or then if not that I I need it to be on the coaching staff next year. (laughs) Um, He like I love the he's our Udonis thing. I absolutely love it. We gave him like the whole mid level this year. There wasn't like anything they could have done besides that. I don't know, man. You, when you have the situation that they did at guard and like you're dropping like six mil on Taj Gibson because you can, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was a choice. <laughs> I think it was a fine one. I just think it was indicative of them really believing that Kemba was not going to either yeah. need to be replaced or like have trouble being replaced. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think just indicative of not enough planning for me, um, but I gotta, I gotta get right to the center of this next question. Pun intended your last mock draft. You gave the Knicks Mark Williams, uh, another dookie. I did. Speaking of um, personally, my favorite, you know, developmental big, in this draft, I know Durant is going to go probably top six to eight. If I had to guess right I'm, now, for what it's worth, I'm skeptical of that. But Ooh, we'll, really, we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, if he drops to us, whippy. But um, I, 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 I don't know. So the guy of his size, the shot blocking potential, and if teams even just bite on on one of the shooting or the passing being a real thing, you know, I don't see him being considered like a 
late lottery or outside a lottery guy, but I, I don't think either of the shooting or the pass. I mean, look, I think you can short <laughs> yeah. pass to an extent. Um, that's probably the best skill. I don't think you can shoot at all. Um, I, I worry a little bit more about the movement than I think others do. I think he's a bit heavier footed than what people think. Like it's more, I think he's more Deandre Jordan than he is like a switchable center which is what I've seen some people yeah. say. And I, I don't really from what, and, and I, he's one that I have done the full draft guide, you know, deep dive into. And it, it's, there's some heavy footed moments. He moves really well out in the open court, moves really well out in space. I'm not as in on the way he moves over short distances. I would say. I feel you. Um, that kind of reminds me a little of Wiseman, uh, just how there's was, a little bit of that. Yeah. Like, wow. He was like a shoe in for a top center that draft. And I was, you know, in my little corner screaming for double O. Um, but yeah. regardless, uh, my, my comparison was going to be more to Isaiah Jackson last year as being last year's like developmental big this year. Yeah. Mark Williams seems to be that guy, the guy with, a ceiling that could be higher than anyone likes to think, but that will require a lot of work to get there. Um, I'll start. Would you still mock Williams to the Knicks today? Oh God. I haven't, you know, when did I run that mock? Probably in late March. Early. I haven't even really looked at this point to know. I mean, Mark would be a guy that would be on the short list. Um, you know, Shaden Sharp obviously is in this draft officially now. So that knocks everyone down a peg. Oh man. Who I'm trying to think what other players would be in that mix at this point. I don't Johnny, think AJ Griffin kind of gets there. Johnny Davis would get there. I think Ben, I think is going to go a little bit higher than what everyone thinks. Cause teams just feel comfortable with him. Uh, just in terms of what the skill set is, he's a, uh, he's a grinder too. Yeah, Sohan and Dyson Daniels are two guys that stand out as being kind of on the short list. Malachi Branham okay. is kind of on the short list. Mark Williams, Ty Ty. I think that's kind of your group as much as anything. But the Knicks do wild shit all the time, so like you know, who knows, right? At least our, the wild shit has been fun recently. At least it's been totally. Like, Oh, they were talking about Grimes in the second and they just took him at 25. Yeah. Yeah. And they nailed <laughs> at least it. it's been like, fun. Reese. At least it's been fun. I'll 100%, take that. Like they, they did well. Like I, I think that, look, I had Quentin at like, I think 39, 40. Yeah. I was like there that. with you at like 38, 37. Yeah. And they, I, like, I think they absolutely evaluated that perfectly. He, they were dead on with him. So I, I don't, I don't think they're doing it poorly. I just think they're, you know, you never know what decision the Knicks are going to make necessarily. And I think that their board probably looks a bit different than what other people's boards looks like. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree there. Um, I, I will get into that in a second, but, but quickly on to wrap up our, our center convo, would you, you know, whether it's bring back Mitchell Robinson uh, and, and, or look somewhere else in the market or then looking to Duran or Mark Williams. Do you think that, you know, the Knicks answer per se at center is in this draft. Do you think that it's just cost efficient for them to see if they can add one in the, you know, early second or, and, and you know, maybe someone like Coloco 
and have him and Sims and let Mitch walk, sign and trade him maybe to Dallas uh, for, for Jalen, however that goes. But how do you feel about, you know, Mitchell Robinson being a, a free agent and the Knicks having Sims, who's a, seems to be someone who projects as a good solid backup, but not yeah. maybe a, a, you know, that they stay, they might have a hole on, on that top uh, spot on that depth chart. If, if the, it's hard, I would strongly consider a center. I, I would take Dyson Daniels personally over like, Jalen Duran and Mark Williams. Uh, I think gotcha. Dyson is, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight, high level lead guard. I think he's the best perimeter defender in the draft as long as he shoots. And he's one where the mechanics aren't broken. They're just like kind of being worked through. Um, and I like, I look, we're going to find out what he measures at this week. Uh, Dan Moldovan, his agent, has been very public in that he says Dyson is um, six foot eight now and be that in shoes or whatever it is. We're going to find out this week. And I believe Dan, uh, you know, for what it's worth, Dan is not a bullshitter. He's a he's pretty straight shooter on that stuff. Uh, But he's tweeted it. He's said it to me. He said it to everyone in the industry that Dyson is bigger than what people think. And if he is. If Dyson is a six foot seven to six foot eight point guard who is an elite perimeter defender, yeah, <laughs> that changes the conversation, I think, from what people thought Dyson was originally. Um, you know, it, it's hard, like, without knowing who who's going to be on the board, right? Like, does Shaden Sharp get there? If Shaden Sharp gets there, I probably take Shaden Sharp, just take the flyer and see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like think. I know the Knicks are like down at 11 right now. Yeah, it's hard to hard to like find all of the dudes that could get down there. I, I, mean, I kind of like that spot for them though, just with how I don't know this front office. Like they let Obi fall to them at eight. Yep, they liked quick. They traded back from 23 to 25 and grabbed him. Um, and they did that because they couldn't get back up for Maxi, right? So, or, yeah. or maybe, maybe even Kyra, I think they were looking at too, but I know Maxi, they liked. Um, well, so like, like, here's the other I, one too. I like, like their how, approaches. How, how strong are they on taking a project versus wanting something that can help now? This was um, my next question for you was, you know, looking at, Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis versus Shaden Sharp and Leonard Miller. Like <laughs> just that conversation. Or, or like Bryce Usman McGowan. Jeng, Jeng is another one. Another yeah. one, you know, uh, and for me, McGowan's too is up there as someone who like, there are a couple fogs and, you know, bridge trolls to clear up, but you will eventually have a interesting path to potential stardom. Um, yeah. There, so like, how do you, if you don't mind, just getting into like, how do you feel about the Knicks uh, walking up to to plate and swinging at the first you know <laughs> pitch that comes their way, taking a total total upside shot um, on someone like Usman or on or on Leonard Miller even. Uh, well, like, you know what, like Sohan fits that mold too. Yeah, and I, so I love him as as far a from a finished us. product. Yeah, like like that would probably be what I would like if Jeremy Sohan was on the board. Um, he, he and Dyson Daniels are probably my two 
guys that I will have in their range that make sense um, that I like quite a bit. I know that there are shooting questions with both of them, but they're both so versatile defensively. Like Sohan is six foot nine to six foot 10 and he can run pick and rolls. He can be like a short roll, you know, screener. He can just really create in a variety of ways. And he's kind of a chess piece defensively as well. Uh, that can be really interesting in the way that you utilize him as a switch defender uh, is the four man. And you look I don't know quite how his frame is going to develop long-term, but I think there's a world where you might be able to play him at center occasionally. Oh, and we're speaking my language on draft class right now. <laughs> I I'm like intrigued. It. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued I, by Jeremy Sohan in a pretty real way. Yeah, he is. I think there is a... There has to be a column, you know, it's you can maybe numerically describe extents to which players can shoot or play make, but there's, there's an it column and guys either they got it or they don't, yeah. you know, there's no, there's no, it's like being pregnant, right? Like you can't be half pregnant. <laughs> you, you're either you, you are, or you're not yeah. right. So you either got it or you don't, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, let me think of a random player who like, people thought was bo- oh chris duarte my fellow dominican someone that people thought was boring i know it doesn't look like it i'm half dominican this is a, a weekly revelation i don't pod. i don't i'm not i'm not judging based <laughs> um, on looks i believe it. and and duarte to a lot of people was just like oh old three and d oh and i was like this kid has it though he has it <laughs> like well he- and and chris was always going to be a guy that was going to live up to being the 12th overall pick or the 14th overall pick. He went 13th, right? Um, he's never going like I, I went through and did like a redraft of this class, right? Like he is never going to be higher than 10th or 9th, I don't think, in this class, because that was an incredibly strong draft class. Right. He's never going to be lower than 15th, 16th, right? Because he's just a really steady, solid rotation player who can play 30 minutes a night and shoot. 38% from three and defend at a reasonable level. I know the classes are different, but he just reminds me of Bain in terms of like the guy that and they didn't make the mistake this year in letting him slide. I know he doesn't have T-Rex arms, but they didn't let him slide to 30. Um, yeah. But like the guy that teams just look at and are like, oh, I think I did a lot of overthinking there. That is production yeah. that translated. Like there, there was a desire to produce that translated, you right. know, um, I, I, you know, so that, that, that for the Knicks, like a guy like Sohan who has it, I think would be a fascinating ad to circle back there. Um, even, you know, if it's someone like McGowan's or Leonard Miller, Miller would just with his shot would be so fascinating to see how that plays out. But I think there's a world where uh, they add one of these mystery boxes of, of players in, you know, even in you know, Uzman Jank too. Right. Um, and, and that it goes well for them. So that's obviously the, the desired outcome, but I feel like, and maybe you'll agree that they're in a situation now coaching staff wise, um, and development staff wise, you know, no longer have Fisdale's smallest dev staff in the whole NBA, despite having direct access to Dolan's pockets. Um, they no longer have, you know, this, this kind of like, you don't go to the Knicks to, to rot anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and the goal is that the Knicks are 
becoming and slowly are even now to an extent a franchise where you go find yourself and find how to be a productive basketball player in a, in a productive system. Um, that's, that's the goal at least. Right. So do you, do you think adding one of those total upside shots, like, uh, do you think that's like sending a flower to a, 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 you know, a patio of stones to just go die and not grow? Or, or do you see that, that soil in the Knicks foundation right now for, for someone like, so on for someone like, I mean, say they take Blake Wesley at, at 16 because they think he can be whoever, you know, with that. And they, they buy the handle and everything. Do you see us as like a, a breeding ground for, for prospects like that? Like a, a, a good place for those guys to go? It, well, it's hard because they haven't done, they haven't undertaken one of those projects in the last few years. Like Mitchell Robinson, honestly, was probably one of those projects. If we're being real about it. Yeah, oh, right? he, like, he was. Yeah, it still, still is to me. But But the thing is that the role for Mitchell is just so much simpler than some of the guys we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Like Leonard Miller has no idea how to defend in a team concept right now. Yeah. Like if you go and you watch his tape from the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association, he just doesn't know how to, like it's that he, he wasn't asked to do it. It's not on him. It's that it was, it was just not a part of what he was tasked with considering on the court. You're buying straight Twitch there. Like you're literally here's the thing. He doesn't have a lot of Twitch. Like that's actually the concern. He's big and he's long and he's very fluid and he's, you know, has this. I think the the fluidity is and the, the, that's it more like the, Oh, this guy does movements that are like, so unique that are so uh, not like ostensibly star, like, but just like the things that, don't look normal. And I feel like those are what, when you have, when you're bringing lottery tickets to the, to that podium, right. When, you know, Mr. Silver's reading out what you spent your lottery ticket on. um, You are never going to sell me on using one on like, man, even if it's like Davion Mitchell, like not to just to to show an eval I whiffed on, right. Like that's never going to be the kind of guy that I would want to take in the lottery. Uh, I don't think that's, a wrong take. I think that every evaluator is different and you just need to find the guys that fit your belief system in some regard, right? Like, like Memphis has a core belief system about the way they evaluate prospects. And I like try to have a core belief system in the way that I evaluate prospects. And, you know, you can go, X, Y, and Z, right? In terms of, I like guys that are high character guys with crazy work ethics and with, you know, look like, like Chris, you're um, in the middle of finals right now. You don't have the ability for that, that I do to go out and like talk to college coaches and yep. learn about these kids. You know yep. what I mean? Uh, and like NBA evaluators do. So it's, it's, it's hard, I think, to try and determine from the outside what makes kids continue to grow that don't necessarily have the traditional age pathway, right? Like, like Davion Mitchell is a perfect example, right? Like I remember talking to Baylor staff about Davion and they were like, I am telling you, I have never seen someone that works harder in his entire life. Like we have been here for 20 years now, 15 years. And 
this is the hardest worker we have ever had. See, like, I love psychos. I just didn't know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Like, like, see, <laughs> I, I have, you know, I bet my roommates that don't watch basketball could tell you the story of how Kentucky coaches had to lock out Emmanuel quickly from, <laughs> from the gym in the middle of the night. Um, because I tell it so much because I love that totally. kid so much. And I love kids with that work ethic so much, maybe because I am so sometimes detrimentally obsessed with get, with getting things done that I really love doing, you know, whether yeah. it's writing about these kids or talking about them, uh, that I really admire that. Like, for example, that, that piece came out today that Shams Sharanya spends 18 hours a day on his phone and his heart sinks every time he has to be somewhere without Wi-Fi. And I'm like, I love that. I know that's concerning, but I love that because he really wants it. Like, I, I respect it. Man, I, I will tell you what, as someone who knows Shams, Shams is fucking awesome at what he does. Uh, and I respect the shit out of him. That is not a life I want to live. Understood. <laughs> Shams, is, Shams is constantly on his phone. And you know what? Like all credit to him. That man picks up the phone every time I call him. Second ring right there for me whenever I need him. And it's the same for me with him. Like he's a really, really good human being. And that is not the kind of life I want to live. Like, so to take people behind the curtain here, I, so I live in Australia and whenever I leave the house to go to like dinner with my wife, right. Uh, I don't have internet access for the most part. Like I, I can't be reached and oh. it's beautiful because I don't have like distractions. I don't have anything oh, yeah. to get to me. It's, it's the best. Like if I ride on the train, so every Wednesday I go in and film, um, for our tab NBA tip off show here over in Australia. And I don't have access to my phone. It's beautiful. I get like a great 30 minutes of just like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to read while I'm here. You know, like this is nice. This is Bring the a opposite, and get some opposite time. of the wind horse tweet. You know, the, the classic I'm in Rome, it's one 30 AM and my wife, me may be considering divorce. <laughs> I, I leave analysis of Cavs Celtics trade to my able See? colleagues. Good night. <laughs> when See, when, you the, know what when though? the Kyrie like, IT thing went down. Totally. And you know what? Like I also work, you know, 75 hours a week probably. But uh, when I'm offline, I try to be very offline <laughs> so that like there's at least a little bit of separation, you know? Love it. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can add extra proteins and sides, change up the serving size when you have guests, or just double up on your favorite recipes so your box works harder for you. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences or skip a week whenever you need. Feeding the whole family has never been easier with larger box sizes for more servings and more savings. 
HelloFresh also offers convenient, contact-free delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make, with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh is 30% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store. Plus, you skip the checkout lines. Try our quick and easy meals, which include 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches in HelloFresh Market. Perfect for your busy schedule. Enjoy restaurant quality meals for less in the comfort of your own home. HelloFresh's gourmet recipes like balsamic fig sirloin are over 72% cheaper than an average restaurant meal. Look, guys, I don't have to tell you how busy I can be with all the work I do for Nick's Film School, as well as my show Final Review. My fiance is just as busy, and when that question comes up every night, what do you want for dinner, rarely do we both have answers. Well, we've actually been customers of HelloFresh for over a year, and we're thrilled when we found out about this sponsorship. Not only is the food delicious, but it's convenient to make and takes away that simple anxiety of what you're going to have for dinner that night. They send you a week's worth of meals, you cook them, you prepare them, you eat them, and and then by the weekend, a new box for the following week shows up. It's that simple. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The urge to do a, a corny cutaway there. Speaking of separation, no, um, we won't. We won't be talking about dribble breakdowns right now. However, I will. I will do some guard talk with you. We'll wrap this back around to to guards. Um, Miles McBride is a, a New York Knickerbocker, Mister Deuce. Uh, he was. I always joke like before the draft even happened, he was my steal of the draft. Last year, like, wherever he was going, he was going to be my steal um, just because I had him at 21 on my board and I figured he would go at somewhere like yeah. 30 and then he went 36 and I was like, yay, Knicks. <laughs> um, but yeah. even though Herb Jones went 35, I really couldn't care less despite what people want me to be crying about on Twitter. Uh, the, the Knicks have deuce. They have quickly, as we talked about um how do you, we talked about, you know, RJ cam Grimes adding to that, right. Maybe with Sohan, uh, someone to play that, that role that I don't know that Portland wanted Rocco to play when they dealt for him, that free safety, even though that was totally miscasting yeah. him because their defense stunk. You get what I'm saying. Um, in, in regards to the guards, IQ and deuce, is there a kind of guard that you would love to add? To these two, do you see IQ? Like, did you used to see him as a two and now he's a one? So someone like Hardy would be someone you could see the Knicks fitting next to him? Or, or you know, are you all about defense with this? Because IQ, you don't love. Uh, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about you know, our guard situation? I, I'm look, I, I love Deuce last year as well. I had him in a similar range that you did, maybe like 22, 23. And I'm, an, I'm worried enough about the offense now to where I just can't, I don't think they should be considering him in what their decision is. Like, I, I think you just kind of take the guy that's best on the board. And if Deuce works out great, like you, you have a, you know, bulldog defensive guard who is just absolutely phenomenal uh, on that end of the court. And hopefully he shoots it and hopefully he learns how to finish inside. And, you know, I, I've always thought of him as a point, uh, because if you go back and you watch the tape over the second half of his West Virginia season where he was, you know, away from Oscar Shibway and they ran more four out ball screen action. I think he averaged like five assists per game, being able to do that in college, which is a good number. Like I, I think he actually can play some point, but at the end of the day, like we, we just don't know enough about what, like what the ceiling is. What's, what's the upside here? I, I just can't, I, I can't, uh, I can't equate him into the decision-making process because he just might not be good enough to be worth considering within the decision-making process. I feel you. So like, I don't know, we get mocked tie tie like a million times <laughs> in all yeah. the, I think it's too easy with, Oh, New York needs guard went to Kentucky. You know, that's, it's almost like a, a gimme. Yeah. Um, but so I feel like when we already have IQ induced, there are like more intriguing options to add. Well, here, here's you know? what I would say. So I think Ty Ty is very different than 
certainly Deuce. Like, I, I don't think he's very comparable at all to Deuce. And I think they could actually play together reasonably well. My, my ideal version of what Ty Ty looks like is I want him to be the point guard next to a big wing creator. Like, I want him to be, you know, the point guard for you know, in an ideal world, someone like Cade Cunningham or someone like uh, Peyton Pritchard or no, not Peyton Pritchard. Like he's an upgraded version of Peyton Pritchard. Like I right. want him next to, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like yeah, I, I want I him got next to, yeah, like uh, I want him next to Giannis in Milwaukee. Like that's like my ideal spot. Right. Um, because I think that he's good enough as a decision maker and distributor and processor of the game. And plus he's six foot three with a six foot nine wingspan. Like I think that you can make a lot of different things work. He's a good shooter. He's a great like decision maker and passer whenever he has the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, you have to worry a little bit about his ability to separate. Like I'm glad that you brought up separation going into this conversation because that's ultimately kind of the critical word with Ty Ty. But I think that if you put him around other guys that can separate and that can bend the defense for him a little bit and then kick it out to him as your de facto point guard, even though he's not going to be running the offense in the half court, the star player will be, you know, someone like Jimmy Butler would be running the offense in the half court like that. That's where he's going to like thrive and make good decisions. I think. Gotcha. Yeah. So I I agree on that. I've said that, um, not in terms of who I know it's not like, I'm not saying he and Maxi are the same guy, but just like my vision for Maxi in terms of like, uh, Oh, he's not going to be a primary, but he can start like I'm higher on Maxi or I was higher on Maxi than I will be on Ty Ty. But I, that's kind of the similar thing, right? It's like, yeah, this yeah. guy can get the ball to go in the bucket. <laughs> um, yeah. and that's going to be valuable, you know, regardless. So with, I guess it's really just like his swing factor would be his playmaking, I suppose, because kind of determines, you know, is he just a scoring guard? Can he actually, get something going? Is he someone that we consider one of our several creators here in a playoff setting? Um, you know, but that, that Brunson kind of role that you were describing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I love, I love that. I, I love that idea. Which like, we should talk about that, uh, whether or not uh, that actually ends up being a hole because the Knicks could, you know, if rumors are to be believed, uh, be in the market for Jalen Brunson. Right. So, so this, this is where I was going to end <laughs> off. So I'll cut you off to get my question out. And and the reason is because my question has another wrinkle to it. Um, the Knicks add Brunson. Okay. That's the first part of this hypothetical. Then they're drafting a wing in the lottery to add to their core as well. So, you know, whether it's a, a combo, whether it's a, a three, four, you know, they're, they're, it's not, they're not going for a one. They're not going for, you know, probably not Johnny Davis either. Right. Like they're going for a, a real kind of wing there. Who's your pick to compliment Brunson and the rest of their young core. And then how do you think that team does? How do you think Brunson helps not only that new draft pick, but the Knicks other young guys too? Mm. Well, I think Brunson helps a lot because he would be their best player at a certain point. Um, like he is a better player right now than RJ at the very least, whether or not that stands as RJ moves from being 
what is RJ now? 23, I believe. He'll be 23 to start next year. Oh, RJ, I think just turned 21. I think he's going to be 22 to start next year. If I really, okay. So yeah, he's, he, his birthday is in June. So he'll be turning yeah. 22 in a month. Uh, so I, I mixed that up. But yeah. So once the season starts, he'll have just turned 22. So as RJ turns from, you know, 22 to 25, is Jalen Brunson going to be the best player? Probably not. Right. But as RJ continues to grow, I think Brunson would actually really help him a lot on the offensive end because of the ability to shoot, the ability to play, make the ability to make really good decisions. I don't know how that team defends at a high level unless we uh, really get to the point where they're keeping Mitchell Robinson and Mitchell develops into a consistent elite rim protector, not a uh, for three games at a time elite rim protector. And then abysmal Um, for the next three. We also got to start our our guy QG next in between Brunson and Barrett if they want to hope at guarding the POA, I would say. So, yeah. And, and then like, honestly, because what then, then, I mean, if you're keeping Jalen, you're probably keep, or if you're bringing in Jalen, you're probably keeping Julius at that point. Right. Cause you're trying to like, you're making a win now move. Right. Maybe, but just to be play devil's advocate could getting Jalen be like, Oh, well, this is what we were going to do when Julius was here. We just have him instead of Julius now. So we can start Obi and, and they tried, you know, maybe it's Julius for Hayward because, and, and uh, they, they do a talent upgrade or maybe, maybe. They want expiring. See, I don't know. Yeah. Th- this is what's so hard there, about so. it. Yeah. Cause like there are so many permutations of how this Knicks off season could go. And I don't know. I guess this is where my problem is. I don't know what their goals are. (laughs) Like, I don't know what their end game is outside of get star. Sustainably get star, I think is the end game. Like at, add star to sustainably built bird's nest, which is what you were saying earlier. They were doing a good job of doing right. Adding guys like, yeah. And like quickly and topping who, you know, are not going to be your stud, you know, your your capital D dude in the playoffs, but your outside pieces, your trade pieces for that star. I think that's what they're doing right now. And um, I think so too. Yeah. But like want those assets to look as good as possible, you know, maybe Brunson instead of Randall might be the path to that. I'm starting to accept slowly. So, but, but at some point though, you, you do have to cash in, right? Like you have to make the move for the star and you know, like it seems like their goal is Donovan Mitchell, right? Like that's their hope, right? Like they're they're based off of all reporting, they're gonna try and chase Donovan Mitchell this summer, right? And that's gonna be expensive. Like that all star game you, being in Utah next year, though, just man. I see, like I they can't run that back. Cause then you're then you're running it back for a fan base that is like frustrated that you're running it back. Well, you know what I they, mean? They move Gobert and they, you know, yeah. Can they get themselves? maybe it is, like maybe that's who they move though? I think they're going to move one of them. They like, got to, they're, they're going to move Gobert this summer, I would guess, to get totally off topic here. You know, maybe, but, but you, Grant, okay. So here, Atlanta. here would be my, here would be my case. Which of those two do you think is more likely to stay in Utah long term? Gobert. So are you sure that you move Gobert? 
Yes, because you're gonna lo- you're gonna move both. <laughs> you're gonna tear the whole thing down. You've got a new owner, and once you get him to accept that you got this core is dusted, mm-hmm. um, you get him to tear it all down. And you try to get the Knicks to give you Cam Reddish and talent that you're never gonna get to sign on the dotted line to go play in Salt Lake City uh, and draft picks to go with it. And you, I, you, I just rebuild if I'm them. I've got nothing with this core. I, I personally think Donovan's overrated too. Like, So mm-hmm. for me, like the sell of, oh, well, move Gobert and then they'll be contenders is like not a real thing to me. Um, no, I, I agree with you, to be honest. Like if I was them, I would tear it down. But do they actually do that? Is the question. Uh, yeah, like, that, I, that that owner is I gonna, don't, he just bought no. a tough situation. So yeah. So like if you're Utah here, let let's say you're moving Gobert, you're moving Mitchell, um, you're trying to bring in talent, right? Like maybe look, like Cam Reddish is polarizing across front offices. Like, you know, maybe and I wrote about this at the time when the Knicks acquired him. Like I talked to two people that were like yeah, great deal. They did a good job using that pick to acquire him because of the upside. I talked to two other ones that were like, no, this was a disaster move. He's not worth that pick. Like, I, he they, has not they traded sprung. for the right to overpay him, kind of thing. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So it's, and I wrote about that at the time. Like, you can go find that. Like, it's, it's complicated whether or not they're going to like him. I think some of these Knicks pieces, some of these Knicks young guys are very polarizing uh, to front offices. And it'll be interesting to see as they try to make a consolidation trade, which ones are valued, which ones are not valued, um, which ones are seen as useful to do so. And, and that's where I come back to like, there are so many permutations with how this offseason could go. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. I just don't know. I like, and that's why I say like, I don't know what they're doing. It's not that I think they don't have a plan. I think they do have a plan. It's just like, I'm not sure what their pathway is to actualizing that plan. Their plan always seems to be, Hey, let's have 80 plans and see like which one, (laughs) which, which reality plays out. So we're ready for it. You know, like um, they always have their price. They offer it and then they don't go above it. You know, like they they have their way of operating that's very um Allerian, Brock Allerian, uh for lack of an actual word there. Um Allerian. Th- there we go. See? <laughs> I'll just beam me right to it. Um, but yeah, like that 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 logic of like, hey, let's just kind of be in crawl mode and and see what we can pounce at. Uh, I I think they replicate that. I think we don't see desperation play in yet because this is going to be year three of the Rose Thibodeau tenure. Right. So, or no, yeah. Year one of year two fully um, was just, just ended. So year three, Rose was here a little earlier before, but I I won't count it. Um, yeah, no, you're yeah, right. You, you know, like I just think they think they have time, and with that, like they're gonna use it, right? If you think you have time, then and you think you you have patience from Dolan, you're gonna utilize it to set up the most sustainable product by the end of your year once your time is up, right? So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they also have it set up where they use their four years 
you know, after year three, things start to get bad and Dolan starts to say, Hey, I'm going to start putting you on the hot seat. And that's when it's time anyway, to make a trade that would buy you more time on the job. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I'm, I will tell you, I'm definitely optimistic about um, the future of the Knicks just because of both the mistakes and the successes that this front office has had thus far. Um, it seems like they've learned from their mistakes and it seems like their successes uh, are not fleeting, right? Like, like Grimes is still on this team. You know, we didn't trade him and this is not the Knicks of, of the past <laughs> where we're like, Hey, that kid was cool. What happened to him? You know, they are all still on the team. All of them. Hey, that kid is cool. And we're 30 and 42. We can make a play and run. Let's go and try and trade him for uh, TJ Warren on an expiring deal. Yeah, that would have been very, you know, Steve Millsian, very uh, before my day, but Isaiah Thomas, right? You know, so uh, I, I will. I'm I'm bullish. I'm to, to bring it to New York, a Wall Street term. I'm I'm bullish on on this core and this regime. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm probably less bullish than you are, but. I don't think there are bad decisions being made. I think that I just need to see a bit more of the overall picture. Yeah. It's really hard when Tom Thibodeau is like actively depreciating the value of the assets that you went out and acquired as a GM, right? It's well, like, there's that in like there, all of last off season was essentially a punt to this off season and the next off season after, right? Because you sign all of these guys to like three-year contracts with third-year team options, right? So it felt like the Knicks just felt like they didn't have the right guy. They didn't have the right like star that they could go out and acquire. So let's just punt to next off season, right? Let's punt to uh, you know, the middle of the 2022, 23 season and hope and try, hope to try and make a trade there. And that's not bad. Like it's not a terrible strategy. It's just, it, it, we're continuing at this point to punt if you're a Knicks fan and I'm not, but like I said, we're, but like you, you're continuing to move the string along while you still don't have the star. And I think that that can get, you can keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And you can keep losing games and never really making right. an impact in a playoff series. And I'm I, I, like, it's hard. Cause I'm not, I'm not out on this. At right. All. But you see a world where they get stuck. Yeah. Like it's pretty easy to see that world. I get it. I just think, you know, maybe it's my uh, naivete regarding their market, but like, Man, there, I, I will always believe that young stars for years now have like thought about the Knicks, not like, oh, that team's such a joke. Like, oh, I wish I could go there without being seen as a joke. You know, like, I think people are always yeah. going to want to play in New York. I think the NBA is more of a business than people think, you know, not every player is in this for the the beautiful love of the game, right? Like some guys love their checks. And I just think you can't go to New York without being seen as a, a joke legacy wise. Um, well, I, I don't I think trust, it's that. I, I trust Leon I, Rose to fix it. I think that players see New York as a potential way to cash in. 
to be yeah, honest. Like, like that, that's, that's it. If yeah. you're the guy that can turn it, man, like that's it. Like if you're the guy that can it, like, think about how big Carmelo was. Right. And he KD, turned it for a year. Katie turned right? down that challenge. Kyrie turned down that challenge. So, but th- what they did was they got the best of both worlds. Cause they moved to New York while still getting you know, their, their, being their able their to take advantage yeah. of the market value, still getting the peace and quiet. Like it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they just decided they didn't want the circus of the Knicks, which some people I think will want it. Some people won't. And the Knicks have to find the guys that do, unfortunately. And that, that can be a little bit complicated. Yeah, you know, a little. I just I do think that uh, once this core keeps this like this foundation that they're setting, um, whether it's, you know, a sideways move like Randall for Brunson, that's just kind of like a rearranging of, of pieces um, or a real forward step, like just adding Brunson. I think that this team gets to a point, not in two seasons where they are that sustainable contender, but where like the, the move is in clear sight to where like, Oh, okay. There's their guy. And now they have a couple firsts left and a couple young guys to work with to assemble that supporting cast. So yeah, that's where yeah. that optimism comes from. For me, um, you know, Rose running the team, my thing with him when he got hired was I'll be out on him. If he like just starts running the team, like he has the resources to surround himself with geniuses and he should do it. And then he went out and did it. So like, I, you know, he's kind of been doing everything I've wanted thus far. Now last off season, a little bit of a, of a departure from that. I did really want 48. Well, um, yeah, but it just Walker, wasn't, it wasn't even a departure. It was just like they punted the off season, bringing which, back Noel, bringing back, um, Burks and Rose and signing Fournier. It just felt like a, a 2K sim of an offseason. It felt like, ah, oh, let the computer do it for us because, um, you know, there's nothing too exciting this year. You know, it feels like he let uh, Frank Zanin, the, the, the assistant GM, run the whole summer because he was just couldn't have been bothered to not deal with the yeah. stars, right? Like, I think we have a world soon where like these moves that are smart that we're making on the margins, you know, like those Ed Davis weird trades that we do where we make two seconds appear out of nowhere. Like, I think we start to see some of that keenness for uh, smart and good trades, like kind of show itself on a larger scale. I just think they are definitely not in a position to be showing that yet. So yeah, yeah, we'll see my final, my final question for you before I, I let you go here is going to be an X or Y it's going to be a, this player or this player. Um, and the reason is because this is the most divisive oh, one that I can remember on Knicks in the Knicks verse since um, a Coro versus Vassal. That was a very big debate in Nick's land in regards to if we're taking a wing, who is it? Matherin versus Davis. Benny versus uh, Johnny. Not real close to me. Yeah, really? an easy one for me. Who are you yeah. going if you're New York? I got to guess Matherin. Matherin. Yeah. All right. Matherin. Um, better shooter for sure. Uh, better tools defensively. Not as good defensively right now, but six foot seven, six, nine ish wingspan, 
stronger. I think like, I think people kind of underrate how strong Ben Matherin is, uh, like has a very like 210, 215 pound like physical frame that I think is going to age really well. Uh, improved a lot more as a passer than what I think people gave him credit for late in the year. Uh, actually started to make reads based off of the way that teams were playing him and the way that help defenders would come toward him. And I, I think he is a definite starter in the NBA. Like his, his downside to me is like Contavious Caldwell Pope level. Mm, um, I see it. And then I, like I, the, I get, I get what you're saying there with the floor completely. Yeah. Like the upside is, Hey, like this guy can be a third creator on your team that plays good defense and actually like really makes high level plays. Um, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Matherin. The, the more I watch Johnny Davis's tape, the more I'm a little bit worried to an extent. Hmm. Uh, Why? If, if I may ask. Is he's it smaller than what people yeah. think? So he's like six four, is what I'm getting. He's like six four, six four and a half in reality. And I don't think. Look, we're gonna find out. We're gonna find yeah, out. This we're week, gonna find out real right? soon. Um, I think he's probably closer to six four and a half as opposed to six five. Um, like if he, if he measures under six, four without shoes at the combine, I won't be surprised. I don't gotcha. Think. So it's, it's a just, you know, I, I, Johnny, uh, I was talking to Prez, my guest on, on episode one presidente from over at the Strickland. He was noting to me how, you know, he led his conference in rebounds despite, having to yeah. work harder for his buckets than, than anyone else. And he, the defensive motor was still there. And, you know, it's, he's, he's like it's, a bet against him at your risk kind of guy. He said, which I love. I um, agree with that actually. But the, the thing is that it's just really hard to be that, to not be six, six, I guess. Like he's definitely not a lead guard. He's definitely just like, he's almost position locked at the two. Like yeah. the way that, the way that you see guys take advantage of even like George Hill defensively and like, he's probably about George Hill size. If that six, four and a half is real, he's definitely position locked at the two, I would say. So, it, it, and it's, you know, like he'll, he'll slide down and he'll guard threes. He'll, you know, probably slide up and be able to guard ones, but these bigger shot creators like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, Giannis, Luca, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you know, there's more of them now than what people think. Kate Cunningham's another one someone, that's younger now. Someone with the strength of uh, RJ Barrett, maybe. <laughs> someone like RJ Barrett, <laughs> honest. I think RJ Barrett would I think RJ would move him pretty yeah. easily. Oh, he would bounce off him. Yeah. Yeah. And he would look, RJ has like a bit of a lower release point, which is why like my immediate reality was not to bring up RJ like shooting over the top of it. Right. Right. But it's yeah. Like I, I think that RJ would kind of move him pretty easily. It, it's just a little bit. It's, it's harder when you're somewhere between six foot four and six foot five than when you're between six foot six, six and six foot seven. Right. Yeah. That's a different world of like, play i don't know it, it, yeah I, I get what you're saying um i think the case and, for for david johnny's way better defensively right now yeah like, that's that's what i was gonna moment, say 
right now yeah. is like the floor for Davis. You know, you talked about KCP for Mather and like Johnny Davis's floor to me is like that. I'm going to throw two names out there that yeah. he plays like neither of them, but just, you know, if you can mathematically average <laughs> these two players, like Lonzo ball and Quentin Grimes, I know it's incredibly strange, but that the Grimes one isn't bad. That, yeah, can, that, that, that two, three, um, and then obviously more the scoring, but I think he does some passing that Grimes doesn't really like, and not Lonzo, like what people think Lonzo can be like the reality of Lonzo ball. Um, I, I kind of like as Johnny's floor, I, I see it now. Lonzo probably a little too big, especially now with that, that height measurement. Right. But um, yeah. that, that floor of being like a connector that, is a two to three, you know, that can shoot over 40% on, on catch and shoot looks from three. I, I like Johnny's floor. I like what he offers, but I, I don't blame you at all for taking Ben. He's so intriguing. He's so athletic <laughs> um, and he's so good at shooting, you know, there, there, there's just, there's a lot there to like. And like we were mentioning earlier, that kid works a lot. Right. So like you were saying, yeah. teams are comfortable with him. I completely see why. Yeah, it's it's he was more productive consistently than Johnny. Johnny had the great start to the year and then tailed off. And part of it was injury based too. Like he hurt his ankle and played through it. And that's like the hardest injury for a guy like Johnny Davis to be playing through. Super high usage, like super right. high usage guy playing through an ankle injury is something. So in particularly a guy that has to elevate over the top in the mid range to shoot. Right. And he uh, has that kind of like Beal like um, utilization of his athleticism around the rim where he'll like kind of headbutt you. <laughs> he'll kind of, he'll leap right at you with his last step. Yeah. So for him to have an ankle injury is just like, Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe he comes in at six, five and like my concerns are a bit assuaged, right? Like I, I hope he does. Cause I hope that it works out a little bit more, but like, I'm, I'm trying to find if he's been measured somewhere as we're talking. Um, and I, I haven't, I, I haven't just looked the other it. day and there was nothing, not a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a, not a blessed thing. So, uh, you know, but you watch the tape against guys that are like, you know, listed at six foot five and he looks a little bit smaller. I think, um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what he comes in at. I'm not, I'm not sure what to think of that yet. I guess in terms of the height. Completely got you. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time debating Davis and Mather for the Knicks too, just because I think with what we have, like Matherin checks so many boxes Um, but then if Davis hits, he might check like the box for our starting lineup between quickly and, and Barrett. So it's tough, you know, having Barrett reddish and Mather and all being like six, seven, six, eight wings that can shoot. Wouldn't be a problem for me either. Assuming they all develop. Uh, Cam specifically <laughs> to that degree right. where we say confidently that they can shoot. Uh, but yeah, you know, as I was saying, a lot to be excited about for me with this Knicks team and, and from what you detailed, 
with these guys in this upcoming class even more, you know, with that hopefully number 11 selection coming up, if not top four, you know, <laughs> just keeping some hope to, to Ewing and, and uh, the, the basketball gods from 84, 80, that 85 lottery, 84 was Jordan. Uh, you know, I, yeah. was, I was definitely alive back then. So sorry <laughs> <laughs> for mixing up my, the, the years of my, my mid teens. Um, but, but no, oh uh, God. yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about for this next team. And I think that you will see, you know, this is my, this will be my promise to you is that whether it's not this year, maybe it's the next year, but there will be a trade. There will be a moment where this roster is at a place where you're like, oh, okay. I finally yeah. got where those mad men were going. You know, like I, I hope so. I mean, sense. I, I think there's, I think that's probably what's going to happen. It's just, there are so many different permutations and outcomes of what it could be that it, it's hard to visualize right now. Uh, and, and it's particularly hard to visualize because you don't. So like we feel pretty good that Donovan Mitchell's available. We feel pretty good that Rudy Gobert is available on some level, right? Like if not like on like a complete level, um, who, who else is available? Like we, we don't know what Beal is going to be. He seems pretty locked into, you know, wanting to stay with Washington. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm calling up Sam Presti at, at, 3 a.m. offering the first round picks out the wazoo, seeing if maybe in his half asleep grog, I can get him to give me shade. But other than that, <laughs> other yeah, than like, that, but that, I don't think that's going to happen. So, like, who's it, it's hard to find the realistic guy. And then on top of it, if Shay is available, why is Memphis not putting together a better offer? Right. Like it, because you're competing against other teams ultimately for these guys. Yeah, and that's where it gets tricky. I would love to see what they would give up because I think Bain and Clark like would both have to be on the table. That's a whole. That's that. That would be fascinating. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm just like throwing out like names. Yeah, like, no, of course. You know, you're, you're competing against other organizations that have, or like the Warriors with Kaminga and Moody and yeah. Wiseman and Picks, right? I think like, the goal is that like the young guys actually play, um, and and are at a point where like they can be seen as being in that universe, like where the Knicks have guys to deal to that are legit. You know, mm-hmm. OB quickly. Even if I don't want to trade either, like. We have guys that are on that level. So we'll see. Yep. I, you know, I'm like, a, to use my word from earlier, I'm bullish on both of those guys. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how my predictions go. But pretty much, I think the only, if they're going to be wrong, it's going to be because I was too high on like everyone. So <laughs> big, big surprise. Nick fan likes Nick players. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm going to let you go and, and wrap things up here. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to hop on draft class episode five. Um, it was an absolute pleasure breaking things down with you and, and getting to hear your perspective. So thank you for that. I do, and not that you need it, but I do always offer guests the the stage to plug anything they'd like at the end of the show. So anything you'd want our listeners to go check out, you can go ahead and, uh, and throw it out there. No, I appreciate it. This was great. It was super fun. Uh, go follow the athletic, you know, my work is over there. Go follow the game theory podcast. You can, uh, you know, listen to me and Matt Penny, just talk a whole lot of nonsense for hours on end. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's really all I've got. Yeah. 
Sam, thank you so much. Go check out the game theory. Go follow Sam on Twitter too, because he didn't shout himself out. And <laughs> thank you for spending this time with us here on episode five of Draft Class. All right, we are here at the end of this fifth episode of Draft Class. I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Sam Vecini. Uh, he's been on here on Knicks Film School before, so you should know him from that. Or you should know him from The Athletic. But I have to say, this was just an amazing conversation. I'm so honored that I got to talk to him. Um, it was just it was my pleasure completely. So, yeah, I, I know this show is for you guys, but a little selfishly, um, this episode was awesome for me too. And that's because I got to talk to someone who I really admire uh, in the draft world. But yeah, back to you guys, because that's my actual focus here. Um, I hope you enjoy the hell out of the draft lottery this coming 17th. Um, that's fun for me every year. Tune in, make a big deal out of it. Get a, get a snack. You know, It's only once a year. Have some fun with it. And uh, I hope you're enjoying draft class. I hope this fifth episode was everything you wanted. I really, really cannot believe the support you guys have poured on thus far. I thank you guys every week and I feel so cheesy doing it, but like, I can't believe you guys. Like you guys are nuts. You guys are actually like an incredible family of loving, supporting people. And it means so much to me that you enjoy the show. Like it means so, so much to me that you're enjoying the show so far. And I just can't thank you enough um, for listening and for supporting. You know, thank you. Thank you guys. So that is gonna wrap things up here on episode five. I cannot wait to see you guys next Saturday, the 21st for episode six. We've got a lot of special guests planned for these next six episodes of draft class. Uh, get ready, buckle in, giddy up. As John says, stay tuned to the next film school podcast feeds. As always, don't be afraid to go shoot me a comment, question, concern, compliment, even if you're feeling up to it on Twitter and I'll see you next time here on Draft Class. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.